0: My name is Chris Lanham, and I am your host of Off the Floor, the show that is all about the learning process, the critical pivots along the way, and the positive ripple effects from those decisions. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Lanham, and this is Off the Floor. I should tell you that in the time since our last episode, we had another baby, and I want to welcome baby Ava Rose Linem into this world, and uh, it's been a great little baby break, and now I'm back in action. So today, we're going to talk about the safe choice. So how many times have you been guilty of unpacking your gear and huddling around the campfire of a safe choice? We've all done it. Well, my guest today left the comforts of one of the safest choices out there. I don't want to give away too much but he decided to explore the uncomfortable opportunities and set out on a journey to conquer something that the safe option people will definitely see as crazy. Here's Rob Rossin, all the way from Australia, to tell us a little bit about his story on this episode of Off the Floor. I'm really excited to share that I've got Rob Rosson. He's a serial entrepreneur, and he's also got an incredible resume, and it's really neat to see what you've been able to accomplish. This show is all about these critical pivots and these, these moments where people kind of step outside their comfort zone, and I think that you know, reading your bio, it just screams that, and so I want to thank you for taking the time to join us all the way from Sydney, Australia.
1: Hello. It's really great to chat with you
0: yeah so first thing, why don't you tell me uh just a little bit about you know how you started your origin story and then how you got to where you are today as a, as an entrepreneur?
1: So I actually was a medical doctor, but I was very entrepreneurial while I was a doctor, so I even took a year off. I'm not sure if you' heard of Jay Abraham, he's marketing guru, but no. um I read all of his stuff and i Came became like a, in my head a marketing guru. And then I decided I'm going to be a marketing consultant, which is absolutely crazy thing to do as a medical doctor, considering I had no marketing training. Uh, but it was a great life experience to take that year off and try and start a marketing business. So I did that. And then I actually finished my medical degree and worked for a couple of years. But then I started some internet businesses with affiliate revenue and with Google AdSense revenue and different stuff like that. And so actually, I only quit... My medical degree and career once I'd actually built up a business that was more successful than than I had as a a doctor so I guess I kind of regret it and some I don't regret it but I I actually miss it it's an amazing profession but I'm so entrepreneurial and I really wanted to be an entrepreneur that that that's the direction that I went into.
0: Wow I mean I, I can only imagine like I think that as a as a business owner and as a parent, like I never have enough time. But when, when I think about you being a marketing consultant on top of just the work that it takes to become a doctor, how did you find the time to pull that off?
1: In the marketing consultant, I actually took a year off. But I did also do businesses while I was in med school. I tended to cram and do everything at the end of the term, so I I studied really hard for four or five weeks right at the end, and I did that kind of cramming thing, which I I think is incredibly effective, actually. (laughs) Probably you're not supposed to do it, but it actually seems to be effective.
0: Well, I mean, if you think about it, so much of the, from a medical standpoint, the drop-off point for people in terms of the user experience comes from just like basic people skills. And I I would think that like, gosh, a marketing class might be a really good idea for a lot of doctors. Would you agree with that?
1: I think for certain doctors, I think that... They definitely could benefit from a business sense, but I'm not sure that it's actually the thing that they need the most. They need more like personal interaction skills. (laughs) But uh, yeah, definitely the thing that people say is that doctors are bad at business. And I think in general that can be true, but obviously not true in all cases.
0: Yeah, maybe they'd need like, yeah, like some type of interpersonal skills seminar or some type of, uh, you know, maybe they should should all start speed dating or something just so they can kind of get the get some minutes logged.
1: They definitely need that, <laughs> yes. But I, for myself personally, I found that I was not that good at the personal interaction in business. Mm-hmm. And That's where I failed in my marketing off year. I was too introverted to actually go out and sell because I knew that you're supposed to be good at selling to be in business, right? So sure. I tried to actually go and I, at one stage, I was selling encyclopedias, trying to do phone sales just to learn and how to do it but I wasn't actually able to do it that effectively. And I was always so scared that I, even just to get on one phone call, even today I'm still scared to get on one phone call, although I'm a lot less than I used to be because I've done a lot more selling and a lot more interaction.
0: Yeah, and could you point to a, like the critical juncture where where you maybe kind of got above the threshold where you felt like you kind of got your head above water when it came to confidence when it comes to selling? Could you trace? I'm it
1: not still that great at selling, so mm-hmm. I'm actually have never become great at selling, uh, and that's probably a deficiency from myself as a as a CEO. But I've actually chosen a business that is very much something that I can be in the background in terms of getting the website to be optimized. And I'm good at that marketing aspect. Mm-hmm. I'm good at conversion optimization. I'm good at selling on a website, but actually one-on-one I'm not that that great at selling. And we've actually had problems in terms of trying to develop a sales team. It's probably partly my fault that I haven't been able to sell myself. So I haven't been able to identify salespeople and only now we've started to get some good salespeople on our team. But my co-founder is much better at selling than I am.
0: Well, I think I can totally understand that as a writer, how easy it is just to kind of put yourself behind the scenes and not even to talk about yourself and speak in the first person or anything that you're trying to create value for people, but kind of doing it at a distance. And so I could see where that's coming from for sure. But it's neat that you've surrounded yourself with people that can kind of like pick up the slack where where you may not have that.
1: I think it's really the type of business, if I tried to get in a business that was primarily sales driven, I think it would be very difficult for me. And having a business that's purely on the internet, where I can optimize marketing, where I can spend a lot of time on conversion optimization, which has been our number one driver, then that is something that I'm really good at. And so it's okay. Like this Mm -hmm. is the kind of, it's choosing a business that actually fits with my personality and getting better at selling at the same time, but not trying to choose a business like a services business or maybe an agency or something where the selling is the number one thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So now give me the point where you realize, like, I mean, in America, especially, I mean, we think of like going from a doctor to anything else seems like this huge step down, you know? So was, was there like family or friends? Did everybody say you were crazy for, for doing that? Or did you just kind of go your own way and and stick to that path
1: I, I pretty much went my own way when my parents were already knew that I was a little crazy and was doing all sorts of entrepreneurial stuff, so I guess they were very supportive of whatever I wanted to do. No one really said hey you 're crazy, what are you doing um, probably later on i think I think what 's a little funny is sometimes you 're talking to someone and then they have gone from another career and they're trying to get into medicine and they're like how could you leave it you know like I'm trying my whole life to get in I can't get in and then I'm actually going the opposite direction and that feels a little weird uh but if you talk to doctors a lot of them are like oh good on you you got out and it's which is also weird because like medicine is great like why why are they trying to get out um they're not really loving what they're doing which is um which is strange but yeah. yeah, I think I think you got to do what you're really passionate about. And I'm definitely am passionate about what I'm doing. So that's great.
0: Was this a situation do you feel like where you were kind of losing the spark that you had for for medicine? Or was it just that, you know, marketing and, and being, you know, having an entrepreneurial spirit just kind of overtook that?
1: I think it was the latter that the entrepreneurial spirit overtook it and it would be great actually to do a medical business and I still kind of would like to do that in some ways but it, I don't quite know where to start and it, and it's hard to you've got to have this blend of taking what you've got and the abilities and, and the background that you've got right now and then combining that with where you want to go if I just plunk myself down and say hey medical business let's start that's pretty scary and that's really hard to get started so I think there's got to be some kind of direction in the future where i want to go versus where am i now and i'm trying to balance that
0: i i got your business angle it's going to be people skills for doctors and then there's going to be a secondary course just on penmanship
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure
0: <laughs> so now um if you think about like the medicine background how do you feel like that equipped you for what you're doing right now like was it just the long hours was it you know all of the, the studying, like you said, you could just cram and kind of get it all done. Like, what do you feel like it really equipped you to do to kind of get you to where you are?
1: I'm not sure how much it equipped me. Uh, I think that the persistence and the ability to persist at something definitely equips you with everything. So that is in medicine as well. You got to persist to, to get through it. And that's one of the most critical factors. But I also got that from reading through hundreds of entrepreneurs and trying to identify what they've done And it's just more an inherent drive in me that I really wanted to be successful. So I think it equipped me more in that general skill sense, but not so much in specifics.
0: Cool. And and now, like, if you think about like the point where you finally cut ties, did you have to tell anybody? Did you like put in your two-week notice at the hospital? Like, I want to just like I was
1: I was working as a locum. It maybe it sounds like a big thing from the outside, but I was working as a locum working one week per month. So the other three weeks, I was already working on business. Mm. So it didn't seem like a whole a big deal. I wanted to travel the world. That was part of it. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to travel the world as well. And then work from my laptop. So it was a combination of those things. Now it wasn't really any big hoopla.
0: <laughs> Got it. Okay, cool. And now from an entrepreneurial standpoint, like who are some influences and what do you feel like you've gleaned from them? Like you've talked about what you've really like absorbed so far.
1: I'm going actually crazy on podcasts, and I want to build a billion-dollar SaaS company, software-as-a-service company, and so I actually made a list of every single podcast from every single SaaS company that is a billion dollars or close to it, and I'm listening to every single one. I got an assistant in the Philippines, and uh, I've got several assistants in the Philippines, so one of them actually made a list of all of these podcasts, add them to my post- podcast app and then i am line them all up. I'm listening to one after the other of every single podcast. So wow. like that's the extreme that I'm going to with podcasts because there's really thousands, tens of thousands of entrepreneurs that I wanted to listen to the ones that are very specifically where I want to be. Uh, so that's, that's a big thing. And then reading, I haven't done as much in person, which I think is probably lacking. Like it would be great if I had an in-person mentor, mm. but I haven't actually managed to, to get that so far. Cause I've been so remote and like, being in Sydney, I'm, there are people here, but I just haven't connected with them. I have got a couple of friends that are doing quite well, but yeah. no one that's a billion dollar SaaS founder.
0: That's cool that you're so specific too. And then you're kind of like lining up the resources and gosh, can we just say how great it is to have technology at the point that it is right now where you could have a a virtual assistant in another country and get all that stuff done for you. How great is that?
1: It's incredibly effective. I mean, it sounds like a huge project, but from my point of view, my time, it's probably like two hours or one hour maximum uh, where I was actually Going, hey, let's get all of these founders. Here's the founders. Where do I find them? And then, so now I'm getting the knowledge of all of the, the billion-dollar SaaS startups and what they did, it printed in my brain. Right. Um, so I think that's really interesting. I just heard something interesting today from one of the uh, SaaS founders, and and he was talking about how he integrated with a thousand partners. And just think about that, right? Like normal business, you know, normal software company are like. Yeah, I'll do an integration. I'll do two integrations. Maybe I'll do 10, but you don't do 1,000. Wow. Like he, he made a list and, and this is what it takes to be like a billion dollar SaaS company, right? You, you make a list of all of the partners and then you integrate with 1,000. So that's wow. the kind of thinking that it takes you to, that it takes you to another level when you listen to these guys who are at the next level from where you are at. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting.
0: Sure, you'd never be caught dead using a cell phone from 1998. And as crazy and outdated as a flip phone might seem in today's technology, there are still businesses that have outdated websites. This is where HubSpot can really help. We've been using the platform for the last four years, and it's how you can not only update your website, but turn it into a marketing beast. Want proof? HubSpot's giving off the floor listeners a free inbound marketing guide just by visiting hubspot.com/off the floor. This is going to help you get started and see if you need a website update. So now like talk about because you've had your hand in, in so many different things. And so give me kind of like the timeline now. So you so you leave, you're gonna see the world, you're gonna you're gonna shoot your shot from an entrepreneurial standpoint. And then what did you latch on to first? And then and then when was like the, the turning point where you realized you had momentum in your favor?
1: So I was doing a lot of affiliate and AdSense stuff in the beginning. Uh, Google AdSense, I was doing Google AdWords to Google AdSense arbitrage it went back when it worked. It didn't really work. It doesn't work now, but it was actually quite successful. Uh, at one stage, I got a check from Google for like over 800000 Like my parents, I know this is crazy, but wow. my parents, my pa- <laughs> he came to my parents' house and they're like, ooh, what's this? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I was spending a lot on Google AdWords. Like I was, It was a bit crazy. Uh, it didn't last very long. Uh, it wasn't really a sustainable business, but I was making a lot of money from it. So I, I really dug into that and then went hard on on that and then was quite successful with it. And then I had a long period where when it stopped working, where I was just exploring, trying things. I had some money, but I wasn't really necessarily successful. And then I started Time Doctor and, um, and Stuff.com and then we built them up. Uh, it's just taking a long time, but uh, is now now quite successful as well.
0: That's great. And I, I love, I mean, I think that you kind of fit the model. It sounds like based on when I was imagining all these things, these plates that you have spinning, anything when it comes to time management, I just have like such an appreciation for it because I'm a super busy person and it sounds like you are too. So we think about like products that you design kind of around the end user and the consumer. And sometimes you're doing that around yourself. Who did you have in mind when you were like putting those, you know, with manager time or staff.com, like who, who was like the ideal audience?
1: So with time doctor, it was coming out of my own need because I had a team in the Philippines and I had over, I think 30, 40 people, maybe, maybe over 30 in an office at that time. And then it was very expensive and it's also annoying. You keep coming back to the office and I wanted to travel the world. I didn't want to really be tied to that team. So I thought, let's just get everyone to work from home. But then I needed software to make sure that everyone, I know that they're productive and um, to really keep everyone accountable while they were working from home. So that was the initial thought behind the software. And that's why I created it for my own need. And then we decided to start selling it to other people as well after we'd built it for our own need. So that's that's how it started.
0: Now on your resume, I have to bring this up because I think it's so cool. And it's such a part of like, internet culture and history that you had a product that was designed for MySpace. These days when people hear the word MySpace, they look at you like you drove like a horse and buggy to work. So describe like how important was that platform to where we are today and uh, and then what you were doing on it
1: that was one of probably at least 20 projects that I did that were fairly small were also small budget like a maximum $5000 expenditure on each one so it wasn't a, a large amount that I was spending but I was creating these different websites I had one which was on satellite tv uh, which was comparing different satellite TV networks, and that made like actually ten thousand dollars a month for quite a while. Mm. Uh, it was amazing. But this MySpace one was just a little side project, which was creating themes for MySpace. I think it was. It was it was just looking at some of the things that were out there, but it wasn't particularly successful. think it made some money, but it wasn't particularly successful. I had some really crazy ideas. Like one of them was a website which would detect if you were lying. So uh, I don't know if you've even seen that. There's a TV show, which is, I think it's called Lie to Me or something like that. I, I haven't seen it for a while, but it was all about lie detection. So I thought what you would get is get people actually to say, uh, look at these cards and there'd be four cards and one time it would have four aces and the other time it would just have other cards and then you'd have to say there are no aces and then there's no aces, there's no aces and then eventually eventually one of them would be you're lying because there's actually aces right and then yeah. you'd have these four videos of this person and then you had to detect which one of them they were lying, you had to detect on their facial sort of you know what's going on so that was a really crazy project that I did which um, just didn't really work out, but it was like a fun (laughs) side project.
0: That is so cool. And so did you ever, were you ever on MySpace though? Did you use the platform?
1: I think I used it a little bit, not a whole lot. No.
0: Got it. I think you could take that lie detector one, and then you work the tech from that into the doctor customer service skills, and you got something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Probably the most ambitious, but too ambitious. Uh, overly ambitious project that I did was actually a WhatsApp competitor. Mm. Uh, It was peppermint.com and it was actually a way to send audio instead of kind of sending text as the main thing. It was like an audio focused and when you send the audio, it also would translate. So if you're reading it, it's better that you can see the translation and you can also play because like, what if you say, I love you? You don't want to just read, I love you. You want to hear from your wife or your husband, like, Mm. I love you. That was the concept. Uh, But for the person sending the message, the easiest way to send a message is I love you, you know, can you come and do this? But people don't use audio that much even in the existing platforms today. I think there's going to be a transformation in that in the future because it is the easiest way to send. And then when you're receiving, it's better to to get the audio and also get the transcription. So I think the idea was good uh, and still is good and still is valid. However, the execution was extremely difficult. Like if you imagine what it takes to build a WhatsApp competitor, it's not easy. And I didn't have funding. I was self-funded and it was overly ambitious. So that's one of the things that I learned. I'm not going to do a, a startup like that again, where you, it's a no revenue startup. It's a consumer startup. It's not something that I have experience with. I'm now only focused on something that's going to make me money, a SaaS product that actually I'm going to get revenue straight away because that's a lot safer. Like if I shoot for the stars and shoot for a billion dollar company right now, and then I fail, I'm still successful. Whereas with this WhatsApp company, I shoot for the stars, go for a billion dollar company, I fail, I make nothing. It's a big difference, right? For sure. So there's that kind of safety thing is important too, I think
0: yeah I think that 's so cool and what i 'm hearing too is that you 're so willing to try things and and you 're even admitting like this was crazy and it was a little over ambitious and this was this was nuts and it was a lie detection thing and and yet there's there 's like an idea there that you saw it all the way through and you broke the seal on it rather than just being stuck kind of in your head um, do you feel yeah. like have you always been like that, or was that just through these different adventures and in entrepreneurial land where that really started to blossom
1: when i was younger like 18 i had an ambition i want to make a million dollars a year so that was like my ambition and and then i would do like basically nothing <laughs> if you think about it i just because it's it 's actually easier to dream about that it 's a lot harder when you take the action and and if you 're thinking about it it 's like oh, this is so cool it 's great that you don 't take any of the action. it feels awesome like it 's wow i 'm so excited about this million dollars i 'm going to make, but the, if you actually start taking the action, you start seeing the reality and then it it tempers your enthusiasm and it 's actually not good. so you'll see a lot of people that are just starting out they 're in that phase where they 're like so excited about doing something. They don't do anything at all, like literally nothing, mm. uh, because it's scary and because actually it it makes them less excited when they start to do something because they realize how hard it is. And I think through the years I got better and better and better at the execution. So uh, when I, in my twenties I got better, and in my thirties I got better. Now I'm forty-five, so I've become less, I guess, ideas person now, probably because I'm older and more experienced. Um, I'm still that ideas person, but I also temper it with the ideas, with the execution so that I'm like realizing now, like every time I come up with an idea, I'm also like, yeah, and it's going to take this, 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 and this, do I really want to do it? So it's a bit different than when I was younger. So I think it's an evolution of getting better and better and better at execution, but it's not something that I was good at when I was younger.
0: Oh man, that is so cool. It's like looking at girls versus talking to girls.
1: When you're... <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> that's a really good analogy.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So I want to ask you some rapid fire questions and then we'll do like a final thought for the audience. Okay. okay. Um, so uh, let's see, what's one restaurant you would recommend to every single tourist coming to Australia with us are coming to Sydney? What's one place that they have to go and eat?
1: I'm going to say that you should go to the botanical gardens and just buy some food and just walk around there because the harbor is just amazing. So you can see the the Opera House and the Harbor Bridge. Not a particular restaurant, but just really great locations. Love it.
0: Okay, second one is what's the movie that has made you like a little emotional, like the movie that really kind of gets you and tugs at your heartstrings?
1: I cry in movies all the time. So it's like... (laughs) (laughs) I I literally cried in the Trolls movie because I got kids, right? And so <laughs> when the when the trolls turned into like gray, you know, the trolls were all yeah. colorful and then they turned gray and I was crying. Like, oh, they're gray. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> I think that having kids does that to you because I I got I had tears in my eyes when I took my daughters to see Frozen just because I was taking my two daughters to see this movie about two sisters and I mean it was like yeah, turned into a sap. I love that. Um, All right, and then um, last one. How about um, what is one regret that you have when you look back on, let's say, high school? If there's one moment that you could have back and maybe edit it and go back and and tweak it a little bit, what would be that moment?
1: I think that it's more being having the ability to really take action as an entrepreneur and having more courage. So the courage to just go out there and talk to people and, and sell and be ambitious. I know that people from my high school and from my days when I was a, even in my twenties, we all met at an Anthony Robbins seminar and we became, you know, really good friends and, uh, a lot of us have become quite successful, uh, but I think I could have taken a lot more action. I could have been much more successful.
0: Okay. So now if you think about like our final thought, like what's the thing from your life, like if you look back on it and you think about like all the pivots and the things that you've learned and, and the choices that you've made that have got you to this point and like where your heart and your mind is set on on unlocking that billion dollar SaaS company, what's the takeaway that you think that our audience could really glean from from your life experience?
1: So, it reflects back on what I said before about that founder, the billion dollar founder who was doing a thousand integrations. And it's about taking a lot more action than you really think is even possible. Once you've found something that's working, then taking massive action. So, similar to how I listened to podcasts from every SaaS founder who has a billion dollar company, similar to when I was doing the affiliate marketing and Google AdSense, I took more action than other people. I had a check from 800,000 from, from Google because I was taking so much action. I was really doing it in a much greater degree than other people. I, I just really expanded out. When something was working, I expanded out my action significantly. And I could have even done it further. It's just taking that massive action when the time counts to when it's actually the time when you need to take action, just taking massive action. And that's where you see the entrepreneurs that are very, very successful, that's that's what they're doing.
0: Man, and I mean, and also not to mention, like, what's the worst that's gonna happen is that you gain all this like really helpful experience. I mean, look at all the things that you've accomplished. Yeah. I love that. Okay, well, it has been really awesome to have you on the show. And I think that your story is really inspiring for everybody that is like waiting for a perfect moment um instead of taking the massive action like you mentioned. I think that uh that is such a huge takeaway, and I think the off the floor audience can really benefit
1: from that. That's great, Chris. That's really good to speak with you.
0: Okay, here's the recap. In the book Algorithms to Live By by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths, they both talk about this idea of exploiting versus exploring. So you can take full advantage of what you have would be exploit, or you can continue to forge ahead and look for something better, explore. I think it's safe to say that Rob is an explorer, and what's really interesting is that he'd do that despite the opportunities he could have easily exploited. Now we all have a skill, a talent, or some environment that's the easy stop on our journey, but Rob is such a great example of someone who has the confidence to push further. I wanna thank Rob for joining me on Off The Floor, and I hope that you got something that inspired you today on this episode. quick question you enjoying this podcast because if you are please go to iTunes search off the floor and then hit the subscribe button because if you can't tell already you don't need to be a dancer to be a great listener of this podcast in fact this is really about just going outside your comfort zone and on your journey outside your comfort zone I want you to think of off the floor as your travel companion thanks for listening